welcome to the 200th episode of Let It Out. I am your host, Katie Dalebout, and this is my podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you are new and this is your first episode, I'm so glad you found it. I hope you go back and listen to the archives. There are now 199 new to you episodes that you can dive into. And if you have been listening to 199 of them, Thank you if you have been listening for a while, maybe the last hundred, or you've gone, you know, picked and chosen what you will through the archives. Thank you so much for coming back. If this is your second episode, you came back, you listened again. Thank you. I'm so grateful. This is, this sounds cheesy, but I feel like a broken record with this, and I've been saying it for the last several weeks. But this is truly my favorite thing that I've ever done creatively and just maybe ever. It's helped me to meet so many great people through the people who listen to this podcast, the people who are guests on this podcast. I am so grateful that I started this in 2013 before a lot of people knew what podcasts were. It was before Serial and a lot of the big podcasts that exist now that brought people into the medium, which I'm so grateful that they did. But it was before a lot of those existed, and I was a pioneer in the wild west of podcasting, and I kept with it. I still do it every single week for almost five years now. A new podcast still comes out on Wednesdays, and I started this from my tiny apartment in Michigan, or actually it wasn't tiny at all. It was a lot bigger than my apartment is now in New York City, (laughs) but nonetheless, I was alone. I was a one- person show with this and now I have help through my amazing podcast producer Amanda I couldn't do this without you this is a celebration of our 200th episode and I'm so grateful the show has meandered and changed and hopefully grown since the beginning it used to be called the wellness wonderland radio when I first started and then about a hundred and some episodes in, around the time my book came out, if you're new to this podcast, I wrote a book also called Let It Out. It's about journaling, 55 journaling exercises, getting into all areas of your life from organization, relationships, body image, all sorts of things. I find writing really helpful for self-awareness, which is why I always talk about topics that help us be more self-aware because that's my goal in life right now is just to become better at being myself. Anyway, the podcast changed to be called Let It Out, which I think really works as a podcast name. At first, I wasn't so sure, but I think that's really what I want people to do when they come on this podcast is let out whatever they want to share in a really cozy, genuine, authentic way. And hopefully I create the space for them to be able to do that. Thank you for listening. I'm very excited about today's episode. It's with Sahara Rose. We connected over the internet. She emailed me or messaged me on Instagram, and we had a lot of mutual friends. She's very into Ayurveda. She actually wrote The Idiot's Guide for Ayurveda, which we talk about a bit, how that unfolded in this episode. And if you're new to Ayurveda, you're going to learn all about it in this week's episode. And if you are very familiar with Ayurveda, we talk about it from a really unique perspective. Sahara has a really interesting backstory. We're around the same age, and she has this crazy 
story for talking about manifestation and thinking your reality and how she connected to Deepak Chopra and how she got into this work. It's really fascinating and we have so much in common and it was just a really serendipitous, magical conversation that I had a couple weeks ago. She's in LA and I'm in New York and we talked over Skype for a really long time. We edited this out, but we actually had to be like, this is great and I want to keep talking, but we both really had to pee. So we took a bathroom break and we sat back down and kept talking for like another hour. It was fantastic and I learned so much from this episode. It's fitting that it's a really robust episode with a lot of information, but it's also a good dialogue, exactly how I want this podcast to be. I hope you like it and I want to get to it as quickly as possible, but just firstly, again, 200 episodes. I don't know. It feels like a big deal. So thank you again so much for listening. And before I thank the sponsors, I just want to thank you guys. I had two events this past week, which was crazy and not planned. And I was worried that no one was going to come to either of them or everyone would come to one and not the other. But it was so much fun meeting listeners. I had one at Springbone last week's guests, the founders, had us at their space. They had the Katie Toast free for everyone and everyone got a free bone broth my favorite bone broth which is the vegan bone broth that is made with mushrooms and I add turmeric and ginger to it so everyone got one of those and they got my toast which is gluten-free bread with coconut oil like a lot of coconut oil and sea salt and cinnamon and it's sweet and delicious and everyone got to eat that and talk to each other and it was a blast. I had so much fun. I love Sam and Jordan. And I was so grateful that they had us. And then on Saturday, just three days later, because that was on a Thursday, I had another event at Divya's Kitchen. It's an Ayurvedic restaurant, actually, in the East Village. And Divya is this beautiful person. She's the executive chef, and she's the author of the amazing cookbook. And Their restaurant is one of my favorite places in New York City. It's calm. It's beautiful. You'll hear all about it because we recorded a live podcast episode in the morning and then we all stayed for brunch. It was so beautiful. It was my friend Laura's birthday and I got to meet new people I haven't met before that listened to the podcast, which was lovely. We talked about Ayurveda. I ate really well with Ayurveda this weekend. I just had some really great Ayurveda food, not even meaning to. I had these beautiful lentil flour waffles at Divya's Kitchen in the morning and then I ended up leaving something there that day and I went around the city. I was doing a bunch of things and so I happened to be walking by on my way home and I realized I left something there so I went in and I ended up getting takeout. So I had Divya's Kitchen for basically all my meals that day which was lovely. I had this bowl of vegetables and quinoa and it was also delicious. So I'm going to stop telling you about what I ate this weekend and just say I'm so grateful to everyone who left their house and came to my events this weekend. It was so much fun meeting Haley and Becca and Joelle and Joelle. Okay, quick story about Joelle. She told me this was my favorite story of someone listening to the podcast ever and I've gotten a lot of really great ones. But she ran the marathon in Philadelphia a couple weeks ago. She lives in New York City. She just moved here from Montreal. And she was saying that she found my podcast somewhat recently in the past year. Apparently some person in France also listens to the podcast and made a vlog about or mentioning the podcast in French. So thank you to whoever that was. 
And that's how Joelle found the podcast. So she's been listening. She's been going into the archives. And she said she kind of started at the beginning of the archives and was trying to kind of make it to the end. But then she was like, okay, I just kind of want to skip to the front and see where she is now. So she did this all while she was training and running the Philadelphia Marathon. She listened to me the entire time she was running the marathon. And she said sometimes she would listen to me on double speed which you can do on your phone and it would help her run faster and then she got to at the end of her marathon it was getting kind of challenging and so she got to the episode from about a year ago with me and my best friend from college Katie her name is also Katie talking about my move to New York and me doing it and I don't know if I'm going to and blah 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 and she was like yes do it and she knew that I actually did do it and it helped her to run faster at the end of the marathon which I thought was so inspiring and also I cringed a little bit thinking that is a lot of time for someone to hear me talking for however many hours a marathon is and then the bigger thought that I had was that is the closest I will personally ever get to running a marathon myself (laughs) so anyway thank you Joelle Thank you for letting me share that story. I didn't ask you, but I'm assuming you'll be okay with it. Hopefully we're friends after this many hours we've spent with each other. Okay, well, that was a lot. I love you guys so much. If you do like this podcast, please share it with a friend. Please leave a review on iTunes if you haven't already. That would be the best 200th episode anniversary present you could give me. If you want to be part of the community more, joining our private Facebook group is the best way to do that. And also every so often I send an email out to everyone of my meanderings, my thoughts, my feelings, and links I've been loving around the web. Things I've been listening to, watching, I just share them. So that comes out every, I used to say monthly, but it's so not monthly. And that's the only emails that I send. Except once a year I do do a gift guide, which is just about to come out this week. But check out the gift guide if you want that. It's free. It's just uh, things that I would want to give as presents and I would like to receive as a present myself. So that's available. I love you guys so much. I'm so grateful. And speaking of being grateful, this is... Tis the season to be grateful. And I am so grateful to Quarter Lane. Quarter Lane is one of our sponsors this week. They are a quarterly book subscription service that brings the most celebrated books of the season directly to your doorstep. It's a literary box that speaks to your soul each season. It elevates the print book to the luxury status it so dearly deserves. There are three subscription types, depending on how often you want books delivered. And as a member of the Quarter Lane community, you'll receive early access to the most celebrated, anticipated books of the season, exclusive member benefits, special literary perks, And the best part is they are owned by one of my favorite people in the world, Elizabeth, and she has a background in contemporary art. So every box, she invites an artist to create a limited edition print so she gets to combine her two passions for literature and visual art. And let me just tell you guys, the packaging is spectacular. This is really, really great for holiday season because this would be a great gift for someone who's a reader in your life you can get a single box for them or a subscription please check it out the code is for 25 percent off your first collection or your first subscription and so use the code let it out 25 for using that code for 25 percent off that's quarterlanebooks.com use the code let it out 25 Supporting the sponsors supports the podcast, and it means a lot to me and them. So thank you so much, Quarterlane. 
Thank you for listening. And also this week, thank you so much to Cara Vitamins. I love Cara. They are the vitamins and supplements that I take that I love. Sometimes it's hard to get all of the nutrients that you need, and Care-of can help fill those gaps with really high-quality supplements. And the best part is you go to their website and you take a simple quiz answering questions about what you eat, your sleep, your energy levels, how often you poop, how your skin is, and from there it curates a vitamin pack handmade for you, which is great because it comes to you to your doorstep in the most beautiful packaging, much like Coeur d'Alene in that way. And it's personalized, it even says your name, and it's great for travel because they come in these little personalized packs of exactly what you need each day. There's no waste. I love them, and I think you will too. If you want to check them out, you can get 50% off of your first order. That's 50, you heard that right, half off of your first order by using the code Katie at checkout. That's K-A-T-I-E, that's my name at checkout. So go to takecareof.com, enter the code Katie, and try Careof for half off. Thank you, Careof. Thank you, Coeur And thank you for listening. 200th episode, you guys. Here it is, Sahara Rose. Talk to you after. I'm so excited to share you with, um, everyone that listens to my podcast now too and just ask so many questions because I love Ayurveda and I have so many questions about it. It's been like in my world for several years now, but I haven't fully immersed myself in it at all like you have. And your book is amazing. I was going through it this morning. I took the quiz. I had a ball and I have so many questions for you. I have like copious notes and Yay. I'm excited to to just dive in. So thank you so much for doing the podcast. Of course. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited to answer them and to just share this with your community. Because, yeah, it's like something that people have heard of. But like, are, it's so overwhelming sometimes that they're like, ah, oh, I don't really know about Ayurveda. So I just like to make it as simple as possible. Yeah. And you do a really great job with that. And what I also liked was, you know, it's like there are so many diets and there are so many ways of being and not even diets like eating strategies and Mm. intuitive eating and all these things and and Ayurveda in a way is another one of those but I loved hearing you on this other podcast where I felt like I really got to know you because you had such a grounded approach to it you it wasn't cheesy it wasn't like obviously you're very passionate but you're flexible and you're really about modernizing Ayurveda which I want to get into and I just liked you so much I want to be your friend this is fantastic yay we'll totally be friends (laughs) great okay so I've been liking starting the podcast before we dive into Ayurveda and your past and how you got into it and the future and your goals and aspirations and what you have coming up I like to start in the present so where are you today what have you been realizing contemplating thinking about pondering in the last day week or month Well, right now I'm writing my next book. Um, It's called Eat Feel Fresh, which is like a huge coming around because I I started blogging as Eat Feel Fresh seven years ago. And then I kind of put that brand away because I was like, I want to be more than just food. I want to talk about other things. And like this is like, I feel like kind of like 
closing that chapter in a way because I did so much work. I wrote a book before Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda called Eat Right for Your Mind Body Type, which was about like um, sports nutrition with Ayurveda and like endomorph, mesomorph, ectomorph and how they're vata, pitta, kapha. And I wrote literally thousands of recipes that like finally now I'm like writing this book and I'm re- and I've just been like, the way that I write books is like when I'm in it, I'm like, I'm in it. Like I will get it done in a short amount of time. If not, I will drag it on forever. So right now I'm like in it in that writing that book process. And right before we were doing the call, like I'm starting the book with a story of myself that I had never told before. And I had really bad asthma as a kid. Mm. And, um, and it was caused from the foods that I was eating. So it's like so interesting right now, like going back there and like also just like letting yourself like feel that pain that you felt as a kid that, you know, you you never really thought about. Like, for example, I couldn't play outside when I was a kid because I would get asthma attacks. Um, So I my childhood was essentially robbed from from me the moment that I was diagnosed. I was playing outside with my with my cousins and by that point so I grew up Persian my family's from Iran and um, I'm the first person in my family to be born in the United States so I didn't speak English when I started kindergarten Um, I ate only Persian foods you know it was all very new to me and I remember I what are Persian foods like yeah it's a lot of stews it's very similar to Ayurvedic foods Mm -hmm. because um, a lot of Ayurveda is actually influenced from the Persian culture because the Persians actually built like the Taj Mahal and like northern Mm -hmm. India it's all um, the Mughal Empire so it's super similar but it's like less spicy there's no spicy food it's more like herb herb based Um, and then a lot of like pomegranates and walnut and things like that so I remember it was the first day of kindergarten and I was so embarrassed to start school because um, I looked different from everyone. I didn't speak good English and everyone pulls out their lunch boxes and they have like Barbies and like Dalmatians and like all these like cool lunch boxes. And like my mom like packed me like a brown paper bag with like a glass container with like aluminum foil over it because that's just how they pack things. Um, and inside of it, I had this herbal stew, which is like uh, dried limes and kidney beans and like different like simmered slow cooked herbs, which is like not not sexy food. Yeah. So I open it up and it has a strong smell to it. And all of the kids look at me and they're like, what are you eating? What is that? And I was mortified because I didn't want them to pay any attention yeah. to me. Now they're all staring at me. So I was like, uh, this is um, a gourmet sabzi with khior, which is Aww. cucumbers. And like, sounds delicious, first of all. <laughs> I'd like some of that right now. Right, but like no one brings in like a full cucumber cucumber stick, and then they they're like, let's see what it is, and they like open the top, and yeah. it's like brown, and they're like, you're eating poop stick, <laughs> and I knew what the word poop was, and I was like, oh my god, they think I'm eating poop, so I was like, no, not poop, it's stew, Aww. it's stew, and they're like, poop stew, ha <laughs> and after that day, I told my mom, I'm like, I am never letting you pack my lunch again and from there I started to I like I got interested in junk food because of the toys you know like I was like I'm not going to this grain legume weird section that was like the root cause of like all of my embarrassment like I'm gonna go to the toy aisles which is like the cereal and like the shark bites and and she was like well I don't 
I, she doesn't know like how to pack these American lunches and she wanted me to be happy. So I found Lunchables and they were like, you know, they have like a little ham and cheese sandwich and like a juice box and a like a little it was red all stick to spread your pizza sauce. Exactly. So I, I grew was, up like, on those too. Perfect. I was like, perfect. This is like a lunch box. It's a lunch. It's everything in one. There's no packing involved. There's no spill that's going to happen. So I just started bringing Lunchables. And the next day I came to school and they like saw me with Lunchable and they like ignored me. And I was like, perfect. But that started my junk food addiction. And I started, you know, like going to McDonald's because they gave me a free toy. And if I wanted the other color toy, then I'll also eat the chicken fingers. And, you know, there's games on the back of this fruit by the foot. So I'll eat them so I can play the games and the things that they do. And I've just recently been thinking about like, wow, like it's such a huge marketing scam to these kids and it makes you become addicted to it. And once you have like high fructose corn syrup running through your veins, you're not going to go back to cucumber sticks. So that's what I've been thinking about a lot recently. Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, it's crazy how mean children can be. And my, very good friend who's been on the podcast multiple times. Her name's Sasha Jones, and she was a teacher and used to lead camps here in New York City for kids. And she has this great line that she says to her, and she's also a holistic health coach and and into you know things that are unusual to for the mainstream to eat. And so she made up this phrase that she gives to her kids, and I think you'll love this. And it's "Don't yuck my yum." Mm. which I think is so important. And I, I used to be self-conscious of, you know, the foods that I was eating, not as a kid, because I, I was probably one of those those kids that had the normal food because my mom was working and moving so quickly and didn't have time to make my lunch. And it, I the only things I remember having for lunch were those Smucker's crustless sandwiches. Oh my God, yeah. And you'd like microwave them. Yeah, I don't even think she did that. I think she just put one out of the freezer, put it in my lunch bag for the day. And like by the time it was lunch, it was like half frozen, which was like good enough. Oh my God. And yeah, then, I love I love those from Costco. Yeah, probably. And then the Lunchables and like the packs of, I remember her buying at Target, like big bat, like a huge pack of a bunch of those individual size like chips and Doritos or whatever. And I like hated it. I wanted more than anything a homemade sandwich or like a turkey sandwich or something. You know, we always want what we like don't right. have. Um, but I think I love that phrase of like don't yuck my yum because mm-hmm. then as I got older and then I got into like wellnessy things and next thing I know I was eating like seaweed and raw sauerkraut and raw vegan whatever and I would bring my own lunch to college and I would have people like what is that and I was so self-conscious and I didn't want people to to judge me for whatever I was eating I that phrase would resonate with that too so I think no matter what it it goes back to like not judging other people's plates and and what Mm -hmm. I love so much about Ayurveda is it really more than any other way of eating honors our bio-individuality and how different we are as human beings and I think that that phrase in what you went through is so perfect for that of like we're all different and what works for you won't work for me what won't work for whoever's listening and there might be similarities but there's differences you know we have different DNA we have different body types we have different histories and what we've been through and we carry all of that in our body so anyway don't yuck my yum hashtag for this episode it just made me think of that. And then I want to pick up on on your asthma and going back to that. So you said that you were really 
an indoor kid. How did you realize that what you were eating was affecting that? Because my my boyfriend had asthma really bad as a kid as well. And same thing, I, he sounds very similar to you. It was like an indoor kid. He wanted to like be inside and like play video games more because it was hard to, to be outside. Can you talk about that experience and what that was like for you? Yeah, exactly. So um, as I started eating more junk food, I, I couldn't run. So I remember like on the days, like, you know, you have to like run a mile like oh, once a year in too. school. Yeah, and I would worst. like pretend to be sick, like do anything. So I wouldn't have to like, you know, I can't run a mile without like stopping for snacks, like impossible. Yeah, I can't even so, do that now. <laughs> Right. So that made me as I was gaining weight, I was becoming lazier. My personality shifted like, you know, before like my me and my mom would put like strawberries on our skin and like turmeric and all these things. And I was like, Ugh, all that stuff's gross. I want to watch MTV spring break. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you're you you change. And um, and since I was spending so much more time indoors, just that disconnection between me and nature really started to become more apparent. And I was playing outside one day and I just couldn't see out of an eye. And I wasn't, my brother looked at me, he's like, you look like a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go inside and I see my face is like totally swollen. Like I, I do look like a monster. And my parents look at me and they're like, what just happened? And I'm like, I don't know. I was standing. The last thing I saw was a bee. And now my face is like this. So they figure I must have gotten stung by a bee on my eyelid because there's just no other explanation for like how someone's face can suddenly get so swollen. So I go back outside to tell my brother to like be careful of the bees. And then I can't breathe. And I feel like literally like a fish out of water. And my cousin had just gone fishing and he had just like um, – like killed a fish and I remember like watching it suffocate in the air and I was like oh my god that's happening to me right now it was like you're breathing out of a straw and after that we, we went to the emergency room where we spent for hours I literally thought I was going to die and they were like no there's no bee sting but you have asthma and pollen allergies and you have to use this inhaler and take antihistamines and eye drops and like yeah you can't go outside anymore like casual and afterwards we had to like you know tell school like she can't play outside in recess. She can't go to birthday parties. You know, my life drastically changed. And, um, during this time, my mom would tell me, she's like, it's because you're not going outside. You've become allergic to the air. How come someone can become allergic to air? It's impossible. It's because of your food. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, mom, you're crazy. What, how could my diet have anything to do with asthma? And she's like, trust me. I know it. I know it's your food. And she would tell the doctors and the doctors are like, no, ma'am, like this happens to kids. We see it all the time. There's no correlation between your diet and allergies it's an antihistamine response to like a potential potential pathogen and they start like going into the science response she's like no 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 it's because of nature and she would tell me eat foods that have traces of pollen in it which are like the exact foods the doctors would tell me not to eat so like almonds and nectarines and local apples and I'm like mom literally you're you're trying to kill me right now (sighs) And she's like, you need to go outside. Even if you have the the asthma attack, you need to go outside. And I was like crying. I was like, I'm not going. It's so painful. And, you know, like I wouldn't sleep at night because I was just coughing and wheezing and like then go to school the next day just so exhausted. And I just literally would feel miserable for myself. I was like, why am I suffering from this crime that I like literally did not commit? Mm. And yeah. And then when I was like probably 
12 or 13 this continued for years I was just like this is this is me I'm a girl with asthma and then when I was like 12 years old I wanted to lose weight and because I wanted to lose weight I went to a hot yoga class because I read in Cosmo magazine that hot yeah so I read in Cosmo magazine hot yoga can help you lose weight so I started practicing like hot prana power yoga when I was 12 and I like became hooked and I lost weight I became a vegetarian I started reading the Bhagavad Gita and wow this is at 12 at 12 so it was like way before it was popular um and I just loved the way that it made me feel it made me feel connected to my body for the first time and I spent you know my whole childhood being disconnected playing with sims playing with roller coaster tycoon instead of actually going and doing those things outside so um through the yoga I started to lose weight I started to eat healthier and then my allergies would get less and less and less and you know eventually I I went down the other path. I became a raw vegan. So I only ate raw foods and I started a raw vegan blog and this is like now in college and I also suffered from eating disorders. I used raw veganism as a mask for an eating disorder as well. And then I went down the other way. I heard that one before. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, losing my period, like having like a BMI of like 15, like. Did we talk about this on, because I did your podcast recently. Did we get into this on? I don't think we, I know like I've listened to your podcast on this, but I don't talk about it that much. But Anyway, it's very, it's it's like almost identical to my college experience. So just go on. I'm just like, yep, yep, yep. And I think we're around the same age, right? You're, you're almost 27. Yes. Yeah. I'm 27. So anyway. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it showed me that the moment that I realized that my foods can impact how I feel, that I can cure myself from allergies, then it made me realize, wow, I can do anything from changing my food. Mm -hmm. So I can become the fittest person ever and I can look like this and that. And then it became a power trip. Yeah. And then it became like, yeah, like everything is around food, super fearful of anything that was not on like whatever my diet was at that time. And they were like random ass diets that like don't even make sense. But I'm like, I'm only eating Greek salad. <laughs> like what? <laughs> so um, so having that experience as a kid, so it was a kapha imbalance and we can talk more about the doshas. I suffered from a kapha imbalance. Kapha is earth energy. Yeah, I so, want to get into all of that, but let's stick on your story for a quick second. Yeah. So so, going back to when you were in, when you were 12 and you go to that mm -hmm. yoga class, what was your relation, what was the reaction from your family, from your friends at that time? Was that, it seems like a not common thing for a 12 year old to be doing. What was that reaction? Were you involved in other things? What was that like with your friend group? Yeah, so the yoga, they were, they thought, you know, it's some sort of exercise she's doing. Like, she definitely needs to lose the weight, so, like, go for it. But then, you know, like, in school, I would come dressed as, like, Gandhi, and I wanted to be – I wanted to become a nun. I wanted to join Mother Teresa and, like, live in the center of leprosy in Calcutta. And I wanted to become a human shield and join the Peace Corps. And I started, you know, like, telling my mom I was at a bat mitzvah and, like, go to, like, you know, the hood of – downtown and like be like going to homeless shelters and like I literally changed as a human being and I had this urge inside of me that I needed to travel and I had traveled but like I needed to go by myself I wanted to live in the most rural areas I wanted to just literally be one with with earth 
So finally, my mom, when I was 15, let me go with an NGO to Costa Rica. That was the first place I went. And I worked at a prison and that I, and I lived in the orphanage part of the prison. And I was helping the orphans whose moms were in, incarcerated. And then I found a, a trip to Nicaragua to build a preschool. And then I went to Vietnam and I was teaching victims of um, well, who had experienced Agent Orange. So they were like blind, mute, but they were still working in factories. And I was teaching worker rights. I went to Thailand and I was like the first person they've seen who's not Thai. This is like way up in the mountains where like there are like a lot of long necked people. And I was just like living with rice farmers, working in the farm, like building, teaching. And that became wow. my path. And then I went I wanted to become an international human rights lawyer for child sex exploitation. And so I moved to DC to study that and that and that was my plan. And then while I was in DC, I'm pulling all nighters, I'm just trying to study, I'm working at NGOs and I'm realizing I'm working so hard and I'm not helping people. I'm just raising money for the next fundraiser. And I don't want to spend my time in front of a computer on spreadsheets. I want to be on the ground helping people. So I got super like depressed because I was like, oh, well, this one thing that I worked towards, like to be an international human rights lawyer is is not working for me. So what am I going to do? And that's when I just became so confused. Like every day I'd have like a new personality, a new idea. Like I'm going to move to Dubai. Like, no, now I'm going to work in the makeup industry. Like I kept just changing what I wanted to do a lot of vata going on. And that's when food became like that thing that I could control. And I became like raw vegan and really obsessed with that because all other parts of my life were like up in the air. I transferred, yeah. I left I left UW because I was so depressed. And literally I remember like having days, like me and my roommate were horrible influences on each other. Like I would be like, I only ate samples from Whole Foods today. She's like, nice one. And like, mm. that was like our way of being like, go girl, you got this. And it was just such a dark path that I moved back to Boston just to be closer to my family and figure out what's going to happen. And then I met this girl from India who became my roommate. And I went to India because I wanted to volunteer there, just like teaching English in the slums. And as I when I got to India, I was still a raw vegan in India, which was like unheard of. And eventually after like um, probably eight months there. So once I went to India, I was like, this is my place. Like I'm staying here forever. And um, I got super sick and I had heard about Ayurveda and like IIN and I had heard it around. I thought it was like interesting how there's like a quiz and you take your food according to the quiz, but I never thought there was any validity to it um and I didn't like any of the suggestions I was a raw vegan it was like ghee and lentils and rice and like all of these heavy foods I would never eat but I was so desperate because I had such bad digestive issues hormonal issues and I had tried everything that Ayurveda was like you know it's like what what can I lose now I'll just see what she has to say yeah so that's how I came to Ayurveda wow so when you were so before you went to India, you studied at IIN Institute at Institute of Integrative Nutrition and learned about all sorts of diets. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So, so I, then... I was at that point at BU, okay. and I wanted to like I had done a raw nutrition course with David Wolf, and I was like very into the raw stuff. Um, and I had started my blog, and my blog became like an online magazine. So I I did IIN not really to be a health coach, but just to like learn more about the nutrition mm-hmm. world. And Ayurveda was just like one of the many subjects that they mentioned. Got it. And, um, but 
I, I really didn't look past it. It was just sort of like, a, oh, that's cool. Moving on. Right. Okay. So then you go to India and you're there and you're, you have some awareness of what Ayurveda is and you're essentially like, well, this is not for me. I'm a raw vegan, but when in Rome, I'll go talk to this right. woman. Yeah. Literally I thought it was like a India. psychic. Yeah. yeah. So you like go- she's going to take my pulse and tell me my fortune. I was like, oh, this could be cool. Um, so she takes my pulse, my tongue and, you know, asks me all these questions like, what kind of dreams do you have? I'm like, oh, this is like about my period. Why are you asking me about my dreams? And like, you know, like what are the foods that you crave? And like this, that, like all these weird ass questions. And I was like, okay, um, sure. And she tells me that I have such a severe vata, which is like air imbalance that at that point I was infertile my body had gone into menopause when I was 21 years old um and I was at the risk of osteoporosis and later on Alzheimer's um and that was a huge shock for me because there I was thinking I'm like the healthiest person ever I'm a health coach I got a blog and everything that I'm doing was actually causing these problems of only eating raw foods, of exercising so much, of being afraid of any sort of oil, like don't bring oil, don't bring salt near me. And all of these, all of these things were actually causing my issue. But I was like, so what do I do about this? And she's like, well, you have to eat the ghee and the dal and the rice and no more raw food beta ever again. And I was like, no, like absolutely not. There's there's no way I'm going to eat this stuff. So then I put it aside again. And I was like, Ayurveda is not for me, but I definitely need to take more of a look into my own personal health. So what did you do then? Did you go back to the States? Did you go back to Boston? What happens next? Yeah. So um, I went back to Boston and I went to gastroenterologist. I went to endocrinologist. I got every blood test under the sun. Because you're not feeling good at this point. You have no period. You're underweight, I'm assuming. Right. Cold all the time. Like next level cold, like shivering. Like who's cold? And um, so bloated. Like I would eat something and not just like I look bloated, but my stomach would severely hurt. Like let's say I ate something a little off. I drank coconut water after my meal. I'm on the couch just like wailing in pain. Oh, yes. I know. This all sounds very familiar. (laughs) Yes. So constipated. I'm eating so much kale, not pooping for days. Um, My fingers are trembling all the time. Like I'm up until four in the morning every single night. Like all of these things that now I'm like, oh, textbook Vata. But before I was like, how could all these things be connected? Um, Thirsty all the time. Like no amount of water would ever be enough. So they gave me all these blood tests. I did not have thyroid issue. I did not have PCOS. I did not have any of these things, but my estrogen levels were at zero. So my body was not producing estrogen. So they said I had hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is basically like something in your mind is causing you to not have a period. And their suggestion was microwave tubs of ice cream and drink it so you can get in less calories at once. And maybe that will help. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get diabetes now. Yeah, and that sounds like... It would give Not me even a yet. headache and a stomachache, yeah. yeah. Like eating ice cream, fine, but micro- – They just wanted oh. me to get like the whole tub in. But like imagine that's how we diagnose oh. hypothalamic amenorrhea. That is terrible. Yeah, yeah. I when I was in eating disorder treatment, they really wanted me to have like four or five of those bathhouse drink. You know those – what I'm talking about? Those like 
smoothie things like Adwala and bathhouse. Oh they yeah, the, yeah. They were like, just have, just eat normally and have like twelve of these a day on top of whatever you're eating or something. And I was like, I'm not gonna do that. Yeah, so interesting. At all. Yeah. Yeah, so I tried, you know, then I was like, I'm going to do anything. I'll go paleo, I'll do GAPS diet, I'll do autoimmune protocols, like, I tried everything. And so I, I tried eating meat for the first time in, like, you know, almost 10 years, and it just wasn't really resonating with me, and I just didn't know what to do. So finally, I was like, okay, I'll listen to some of these Ayurvedic suggestions, but do it my own way. So instead of rice, maybe I'll eat quinoa, and instead of maybe I'll use coconut oil and maybe I'll just like bake some sweet potatoes and have them with some sunflower seed butter and just like ways that I was more warming foods Sounds more delicious foods, but yeah and these are foods that I still eat all the time um and instantly I felt so much better not just in my body but in my mind like I was mm. able to sleep like my mind was not all over the place like I, I was actually able to focus on you know I realized like I love nutrition I was able to focus and build on it whereas before vata energy it's like the wind it's like sparse it's moving all over the place and when I saw that effect happening on me I realized there's a lot more to this and I had thought so I decided the next time I would go back to India that I would take a course just to learn more about it, like a one-week course. Um, so I take this course in Delhi, and literally the moment I started learning about it, it was like relearning a language that I used to speak. Like so many of the things that she said, I, it was like, I, I already know this. And probably it was related to my upbringing of just hearing these things, but I truly believe it was like past lives as well because – Sanskrit words were coming to me like wow. theories that theories that don't make sense to people like if someone even today someone has a specific problem I'm like I like know the Ayurvedic approach to it even though I had never specifically learned about that thing so it was just coming to me so fast and it was like you know when you get like a download like a spiritual yeah. download and it's like a wave of things so it was like just that was happening to me and it's almost like I couldn't keep up and I just needed to write this down so instantly I knew I need to write some sort of book that will translate Ayurveda into modern language to help people like me who are not going to come to India who don't want to eat Indian food for the rest of their lives but still want to balance their lives using these principles yeah. so I although never I would like to eat Indian food for the rest of my life yeah, I mean, Indian food ca can be super healthy, and it can also be, like, the heaviest, creamiest. Totally, totally. I actually don't want to – I take that back. It is delicious, and I'm, like, yeah. hungry for dinner, so I said that, but I wouldn't want to eat it for the rest of my life. Right. And, it, I mean, it's, like, also, like, flavor-wise, it's, like, a lot of spices going on. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that like, was, that was a joke. <laughs> yeah, like sometimes you just want something simple and bland. And I was yes. like, how can I still eat these foods that I love but still follow Ayurveda? So I decided I would write this book thinking it's going to be an ebook for my website, you know, and the book. And, and then I continued to just study with her. And I was studying one on one with this doctor in Delhi. And I spent the next two years going back and forth to India, studying with her, writing my book, which from 50 pages became 100 pages, 500 pages, 1,000 pages, over 2,000 pages of material I had written, translating Ayurveda into modern day text, infusing holistic nutrition, sports nutrition, scientific research, 
all of the things. So once this was done, I was like, well, now what do I do with this? And that was like super anxiety causing because I was like, well, I, and so while this was going on, people were not like, go you, like Ayurveda. My parents were like worried for me. They're like, you've lost your mind. What are you doing? Like no one knew what this was, you know, like mm-hmm. six years ago, literally no one, even in India, people were not talking about Ayurveda. So it was like I was literally like go swimming up a, a river or whatever that saying is, but something kept calling me like you need to write about this. Wow. Yeah. So what is going on with your your personal health and wellness at this time? Are you starting to feel better and get your, your vata more in balance, which we'll get into what that is? And and then how does – I know on my podcast I told the story of how my book came to be, which is kind of a – a magical Mm -hmm. story and you have a very similar magical story. So what happens next with the book and then simultaneously, what is happening with you physically during all of this? Yeah. So while this was happening, I was still very passionate about being a vegan at the time. So, um, which I don't, which I'm not anymore. Um, but at that time I was like, so that was like, still, I had a lot of this, like, it needs to still be a certain way. And now I've learned that with Vata's, it doesn't work as well for them to be vegan. And um, the, when I stopped being a vegan, that's when my period came back. So that didn't fix until a really long time. But I did feel more energetic. My digestion got better. I felt a lot just, you know, being able to eat something and move on, not just having to like sit there and like digest and like, mm. Uh, hold my belly for a while and um for my book it it was hard because I didn't have editors or anyone to bounce ideas off of I didn't even know anyone that knew about Ayurveda so it was just me on my own just writing 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 and the more I started writing I was like I need to just immerse myself in this and with my parents it was very hard because they were like you need to get a normal job what are you doing So um, I moved down to South India by myself and I lived in a hut for six months. And yeah, and I was totally by myself and I just wrote. And um, and then I went to Bali and I spent four months there and I just wrote, practice yoga and then spend the rest of the day writing. And I loved it because no one spoke English. No one could bother me. And I just went so deep in my thoughts and also rethinking everything in my life, like, like why do I behave the way I do and just like how many of my thoughts were like placed on me from my family and were like not mm. truly mine yeah. like most random things like if you like a boy ignore him like why would you do that and just so so many things that, as well as like being a Persian it's like a lot of like be private like if you show anyone that you're successful they're gonna they're gonna evil eye you like never show anyone that you're happy like always make yourself appear like you're miserable like that's actually what you're taught and I was like wait this is not the way I want to live so it was a time of a lot of shedding and even though like you would think it's so beautiful you're like living on a beach it was like the most difficult time of my life Mm, wow that sounds like really like going into the eye of the storm and like the only way out is through and you just did it and handled it so then you come back from from living in the hut you have this book how does it get published and how do you make it what it is now that I heard you tell that story which is so fascinating yeah so this is like I so believe in the power of tribe like there's only so much you can do by yourself but it really comes down to like your friends and who you know and 
you know, I came back and I was like, oh, I don't want to live in America. There's shopping malls. Like I, I only came back because my mom was so upset and scared for me um, that I was just like, okay, I'll just come back just to let her know I'm safe. So I couldn't be around her though. Like it was just too much. I couldn't be around someone telling me how to live my life. So my, and my, I grew up in Boston. So my grandparents live in Los Angeles and they had an extra bedroom in their apartment. So I was like, okay, I'll go and help them with their groceries and like live with them until I figure out what I'm going to do. I just keep writing my book and and they weren't going to bother me or make me pay rent. So I was like, perfect. That's very Um, convenient and a very cool place to have grandparents. Yes. So like literally all, all meant to be. So as I'm in Los Angeles, I start making friends with like bloggers and people in the industry. And I met my friend Maria Marlowe, who I think you might know. I don't know if she's been on your podcast. I definitely know the name. I feel like we've either met or emailed or something, but great name. And I feel like I know her and yeah, hi, I'll I would like to you guys. Cool. Yeah. She lives, she lives in New York. So oh, cool. Yeah. Let's be friends. Yeah. So I met her and she had a book that was going to be coming out and we became friends and I like asked her, I'm like, like, how does one go about writing a book? Like, what's the first step? Like I finished mine. I hired editors and graphic designers and like, I don't know what to do with it. And she's like, well, the first thing that you need is, um, to find a literary agent. You can't just like, cause I was sending my book to publishers. Like I really didn't know what to do. And she's like, you need to have a literary agent. Otherwise the publishers are not going to respond. I have a literary agent, you know, she has a lot of clients and she, you know, I'm not sure if she's even taking on new people, but I'll email you guys and connect you. So she did that and I've sent the literary agent my finished book and she loved it. And she loved how, you know, I took such initiative to a lot of people come with like a kind of like idea of like, I sort of want to write about this. And I was like, nope, here it is. Like 300 page book, start to finish graphic design, yeah, not like, a, not a put it on your shelves. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she was like, we'll look for publishers. We'll, we'll send your book proposal out to people and we signed the contract that we would work together and she started sending it out to people and I'm receiving like you know market's not really there yet or she's a first-time author we don't really take first-time authors she's too young this that and I was like nope this book's gonna happen it's gonna be on the shelves of Barnes and Nobles one day and um two days after I'd signed the contract with her, she gets a call from Penguin Random House and they're looking for someone to write the idiot's guide to Ayurveda, like the the official idiot's guide, like idiot's guide to gardening or mowing your lawn or like they have idiot's guides to everything. And now they wanted an Ayurveda one because it was a topic that people are Google searching more. So they had someone who was four months into her six months and was like, you know what? I can't do this. It's too much work and um, she quit and she didn't turn anything in. So they needed someone to start to finish write this book in two months. So um, they, she tells them that she knows someone and they're like, I don't know, she's too young, but we'll just see what she has to say. So they send me the table of contents that that woman had worked on and they're like, how would you edit this? If not, you can just send it back. You have a week to do this. And I was like, it's go time. And I changed that entire table of contents, like not a single word or structure was the same. And I sent it back to them that day. Wow. And they were like, okay, well, that's super fast. And the same thing, how you were on that deadline, you just pull yeah. through. It's like, you need those deadlines. Sometimes. Yeah, so like, totally. Yeah. And they're like, so you have a week to write that first chapter, the first chapter, so we can see your writing style. And again, that day, I sent it back, first chapter done. And Two days after that, they hired me. So I went from like literally like no book to uh, writing the idiot's guide to Ayurveda with Penguin Random House. 
But I was like, well, shit. Now I just created the worst competition for myself. No one's going to read my book if I'm writing this book. And how am I going to explain Ayurveda in a totally new way? Because you, with copyright, I can't even phrase a sentence the same way. So I'm like, wow, this is going to be even harder now. And my heart was still really set on, on this book. So I'm like trying to figure out how many ways I can say Ayurveda without repeating myself. And it's like so hard. And then finally something came through me like, you know what? Like just imagine this is the last book you're going to write. Yeah. Put everything you have into it. Like forget about that book. Like Somebody that- told me that too, writing yeah. your book of like pretend like you're never going to write another book again mm-hmm. because – you will get a new idea. You'll think of something new in, in between that time. And that that's such good advice for while you're writing a book, I think. Right. And I think a lot of us, we think like, oh, yeah, my creativity is only limited or mm-hmm. I can't like give away too much. I need to like keep, you know, some stuff for the next book. And I was like still thinking of that. And once I let go of that, just like it's just now put everything, you know, and writing that book was a huge learning process for me because I realized Ayurveda is not just about the nutrition and the digestion and like how to heal your hormones. It's a hugely spiritual system. And the reason that we do all of these things is so we can be the best versions of ourselves. So now my favorite chapter of the book and what I'm the most passionate about is the last part, like about the spirituality and the, like the mind body connection, but surpassed the mind and body and like the soul and why the soul is like, and that's why my podcast is like your highest self podcast. And I'm so, 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 so grateful good. to have written that book because otherwise I would have been so stuck in the like, is this good for your digestion? Is this good for that? Which is important. But the reason it's important is so you can go past that. Mm, okay. This is amazing. I want to, before we get into more about some interesting, cool things that happened to you, like meeting Deepak Chopra, who wrote the forward for your book gave you a quote for your book very magical I want to get to that at the end but I think what we need to do right now immediately before we get any further is define what Ayurveda is and get into some minutiae of the notes that I have so people Mm -hmm. can be in the loop of like what this magical thing we've been mentioning for the last 40 minutes is so what is Ayurveda how what is your elevator pitch for it to people Yeah, so Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system. It originated in India 5,000 years ago. So very, very old, older than Buddha, older than Jesus, older than like anything you can imagine. Older than Chinese medicine, right? Right. And um, it's the system that all other health systems are based off of. So even traditional Chinese medicine in year 600 AD, the Chinese scholars came to India, studied the medical system and brought it back to China and it became TCM and it later on moved to Japan, became macrobiotics and moved the other way west of the Silk Road and went to Egypt, became their form of surgery. It went up to the Roman Empire through like the battles and it became Materias Medicas, which is like the Greek medical system. So we can trace down almost any health system back to Ayurveda. It's the first system ever, yeah, that saw plants as medicine that saw the human body having these layers and these intricacies and you know things that 
we talk about that we take for granted now are actually all very clearly written in Ayurveda. So that's what Ayurveda is, which is sort of like, but like, how does it make sense? So it's really focused on bio-individuality, as you mentioned, that a food that works for me or an exercise or an herb, anything that works for me might not work for you. But on top of that, if it worked for me last year, it might not work for me today. So we're ever-changing entities. And our relations, our relationship is a reflection of the like the natural elements around us. So we're all a combination of the elements, which similar to Chinese medicine, there are five. There are um, air, space, fire, water, and earth. And these five elements create the three doshas. The word dosha means energy. So the three doshas are vata, which is air and space. I just like to call it air. Pitta, which is fire and water. I like to just call it fire. And kapha, earth and water, but I just call it earth. So vata, air, pitta, fire, kapha, earth. So we are all a combination of all three doshas. We're not just one. We're all, all three. But also every everything can be described in terms of doshas. So we can talk a little bit more about what that means, but that's really like the bread and butter of Ayurveda. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for going over that. And I love what you're, the way you articulate it. You are so smart and articulate, by the way. Oh, thank you. And I want to talk about how you're modernizing it and some some things that we can do to bring into our lives. But I think what will help make this make sense to people is going into the three doshas a bit. So I will use myself as an example, if that's cool with you. Mm-hmm. You are an Ayurveda practitioner, right? Mm-hmm. So do you learn that while you were in India? Yeah, then I, I trained to be an Ayurvedic practitioner in, in Delhi. I graduated from Very an Indian cool. college there, and I went down to study with doctors in Kerala, uh, in Kerala and in Goa. So, yeah, now I'm I'm studying at the American Institute of Vedic Studies, like advanced Ayurvedic studies. So cool. So do you work with people one-on-one now? I was, but at this point I'm just doing, like, my online programs yeah. because, yeah, because – it's like a lot of it is the same thing I was repeating to everyone like because I have to explain all of this just to get started so I created like an online 12-week program that has like everything explained okay so let's get into a little bit of that here so we've got these three doshas so in the book and on your website and I've taken these before I found your work and was just familiar with Ayurveda and I've had different Ayurveda books and cookbooks because I think it's fascinating and I've, you know, learned about kitchery cleanses and tried them and, and all of the above. And I always take this quiz and I usually get vata, but I know in my intuition that that's not what I am. Like mm. I know that if I took it when I, because you answer the question kind of, questions kind of based on your body type and based on, you know, there are some things that, that don't change, but... I really feel like I'm actually kapha, but I have mm-hmm. maybe an imbalance, which is making me answer these these questions in, in that way. So I want to get into that, but I, I want to first, for everyone listening, go through, let's go through the three types. So let's start with, with vata maybe, and you can talk about what it means to be balanced and imbalanced for, for each type. Totally. Yeah. So, and I'm also Kapha Prakriti, which is, I was born more Kapha, now I'm more Vata. So we'll talk about that. And it's oh, really okay, com- cool. common. Yeah. Let's, yeah. Uh, let's so, get, we can use me as a guinea pig. So that'll be great and self-serving. <laughs> for sure. So 
air. So if you think of like an airy person from like, oh, that guy's really airy. Like, what do you think they're like? Um, like forgetful and kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Totally. So that's like the negative side of vatas. They can be forgetful. They can be all over the place. Um, they can get really anxious. So vata is wind-like energy and when there's too much wind that wind can become like a tornado in the mind so if you are experiencing insomnia you can't sleep you're always thinking of things you're overthinking over analyzing that's all this right now for sure right so that's probably related to the, the vata imbalance that you have okay so but on the flip side on the good side is it's creativity it's idealism yeah. It's travel. It's wanting to try new things. Like vatas are just so creative. Also people. have that. Yeah. So that's what vatas kind of like in the mind. Now in the body, if I was like, I feel like I have a lot of air. Like, what do you think that means? Constipated, bloated farts are what comes yeah. to mind. Right. Exactly. Burps. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's literally like air movement in your body. So it's like, you know, like sometimes you might eat like a salad or something and your stomach just like expands. Yes. That's that's vata. It's cold. It's dry. So it's going to have those qualities in your in your colon. So the bloating, gas, constipation, but also in your body, you're going to feel physically cold. Your hair might come out. Um, you might experience yes. like dark circles under your eyes. Your skin is just like really cold and thin maybe you see your veins like I remember when I was like really thin I looked down at my stomach I'm like oh my god I see all my veins um so that's that's all vata right there so just think cold dry wind like qualities okay. now pitta is fire so if I was like ooh, she's super fiery what do you think that's like um someone who is like hot all the time and moves really quickly and is just like a mile a minute and gets angry very quickly. Exactly. So that's like a Pitta personality to the T. So on the good side, they are hyper-focused, they're determined, they're organized, they're go-getters, they, they're very achievement-oriented. But on the other side is, you know, in life, you don't always get what you want to get. Yeah. And, you know, then that doesn't really run very cool with them. They're like, they get angry, they get irritable, they get frustrated, they get impatient. It's like, you know, when you're like stuck in traffic and you're like, move, 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 move. It's yes. like, that's, that's how they're going through life instead of just like surrendering and just being like, okay, I'm stuck in traffic. So that's what Pitta's like in in the mind. So goal-oriented, ambitious, but also can be angry. Like the, the CEO personality. So Vata's more like the artist personality. I like to call it like Steve Jobs energy. Whereas Pitta's more like the NBA player, like the hotshot lawyer, that sort Got of thing. Got it. Okay. Um, and then in the body, if, if I'm like, I feel like I have a lot of fire in my body. What do you think that's like? Uh, that is like you're, like I said, hot all the time acid reflex, heartburn, that sort exactly. of thing. Yeah. And it's so interesting because even in the English language, we say heartburn. Yeah. It's like, hello, it's burning. Exactly. So, so the digestion is called your agni. It's called your fire. So if there's too much fire, your stomach's going to secrete too much acid to break down the foods and it's going to go up your esophagus. It's going to be called heartburn 
um, create heartburn, but also it can create ulcers in your stomach. Um, so anything related to just like hyperacidity is pitta related. And heat also rises. It's like, you know, if you're like on a bunk bed, it's always warmer up top than it is on the bottom. So the same thing happens with the body. The heat of the digestive system rises and it tries to escape through our skin because our skin's our largest organ. And that shows up as acne. So if you have a lot of acne, redness, inflammation of the face, that's all pitta related. Wow. Okay. Yes. Now, now for hearing you talk about all of these, first of all, it's fascinating. But like I said before, and you say this in the book too, that like taking the quiz is not enough. It's really best, ideally, obviously your book will help with a lot of things, but it's ideal to kind of talk this through with an Ayurvedic practitioner like yourself. So for right. me, I I take the quiz and I'm listening to you give those descriptions and I have a lot from from each of those definitions. Like I, I got, I'll tell you what I got with the quiz. Like I, I, oh, I had 12 A's on your quiz, which is Vata. And then mm-hmm. I had two for each Kapha and, and Pitta. And I, I really think back though, you know, to, to what I was as a kid. And I want to, I want to talk about your experience with that too, where, you know, I'm, I'm not, I was never like the tall lanky kid in in school. I was one of like the, the bigger kids. I kind of was like, became the size I am now when I was like nine, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I wonder, and, and I have, you know, like I, my skin is actually, my hair is really coarse and, and curly, so I, I relate to the uh, kapha, I think, with that. And I also have, you know, acne-prone skin, but and I also can, like, see my veins a lot. And I got overwhelmingly vata, and I definitely, like, creative-wise and being scattered-wise, airy, all of that, I have a lot of vata. So what do you think is going on? with me and and balance wise and how do you talk about the imbalances a bit yeah well first i'll I'll tell them about kapha because i didn't describe kapha yeah don't worry i just got so excited Um, oh my god i'm so embarrassed it's okay i'm so vata i'm so vata (laughs) so yeah so kapha is the third one and it's earth energy so earthy people and the mind they talk a little bit more like this yes they breathe a lot deeper than the other people There's and they have this energy California. that like you you come to them they don't come to you you know it's yeah. like they they're they're really grounded in their bodies yes and they're like they're feeling it i want know? to be one of them yeah like like i think of like latham who's on your podcast yes like energy it's like that it's woman. like yeah you know it's like it's like str- it's like strong but not in this like pitta like i'm gonna run the show it's mm-hmm. like it's like connected you know and, yes. and that's what kapha energy is i call it oprah energy mm-hmm. it's like you, a kapha person is like you want to just come and give them a hug and tell them your problems and they're just gonna pat your back and tell you everything's gonna be okay is that what <laughs> deepak is would you say he has a lot of kapha but he has a lot of pitta too okay He's gone more into, uh, we can do Deepox after, but okay. he's, he's definitely a Pitta. He's a king, war, an archetype is his king for sure. But now that he's older, he's become a lot more Kapha. Okay. Um, so 
Kapha energy, it's really grounded, peaceful, calm, nurturing, motherly, just like the earth is like constantly giving to us. It's providing us with resources and we demolish the earth and it's like, you know what? I still got you. Yeah. Oil, take this tree. So that's what earth is like. But what happens when you keep on taking, taking, taking is that that person ends up feeling depleted. So Kafa people have a really hard time, you know, just practicing that own self-care. They're making sure everyone else around them is okay, but they lose track of tuning into themselves. And it's because they feel like if, you know, they're not holding everything together, the world is going to crumble down. So I think of it like, you know, you're a grandmother energy, like grandmas are always doing things for other people, but are they really doing everything they need for themselves? Mm -hmm. Like most of them are not. So, um, and it's also something that, you know, historically has been taught for, you know, in, in India, they say always marry a Kafa because she's, she's going to be the most motherly and put everyone else's needs before hers. But, you know, that's not naturally some of us are more like that but others of us are not so Kafa though they are the friendliest most loving warm people they're also most likely to get depressed wow okay so um and they are this is not written in the Ayurvedic text but they are the most likely to suffer emotional eating and binge eating problems because they use food as a cope of their own emotions and you know they come back from a stressful day and they just don't know how to deal with everything they're holding on to so they eat and eat and eat and they fall deeper into their heaviness deeper into their kapha and it becomes harder to get out of it now kapha in the body literally feels this this feeling of anchoredness like a tree like planted into the soil and it's hard for it to move so when you've gone really deep into that kapha rut it's really hard to get out of it and Mm -hmm. that's how you know depression it's really hard to move out of or if you're obese it's really hard to get out of that um so vata is the dosha that most easily falls out of balance can most easily fall into balance pitta is in between kapha hardest to fall out of balance because it takes time but also hardest to get back into balance so vata um, kapha kapha yeah, vata is like almost everyone nowadays has some sort of vata imbalance. It's so moving and it's so easy to get your vata out of balance. I think like everyone I talk to has some form of vata imbalance, really? um, even if they're not. So what you were mentioning before that question, which is an amazing question so many people have, is what if my dosha was different before? Like what if it changes? What if it's different in the mind than it is in the body? Yeah. So those are questions that I had that I was like, wait, ivory doesn't make sense. You know, I can't just be – because when I was taking the quiz, I was like 100% vata, but I can definitely gain weight. Like I'm not one of those like lanky people yes. either. Yes, yes, so, Okay, this is like yeah. changing my life. Right. So like how, how, if I eat all these foods, I'll, I'll gain more weight. What do I do? So, um, you have your thing called your Prakriti. Your Prakriti is the doshic constitution that you were born with. And I explain this all in the book. I have a whole chapter dedicated to Prakriti Vikriti. Um, so your Prakriti is you were born in your DNA. Like she was born with blonde hair. She was born with brown hair, green eyes, whatever, as well as personality characteristics. You know, if you have kids or siblings, they're all born a little bit differently. So that's your Prakriti, and we have a combination of all three. So let's say you were born primarily more Kapha, secondarily more Vata, lastly more Pitta. Okay. Then later on in your life, you know, your diet, your lifestyle, exercise, stress levels, where you live, what season it is, all of these things are going to impact it. And then what you have right now is your Vikriti. 
and your vicar tea is always changing. So even as the seasons change, like right now we're in fall, everyone's vata is going to go up because it's cold and dry. But as we go into winter and it gets to become wetter and more heavier, we're going to go into kapha, which is why people gain weight in the winter and want to stay in. And then in the summer, we all become a little bit more pitta. So we have these seasonal shifts. We have these lifelong shifts. As children, we're all naturally more kapha because we're building the blocks for our bodies for the rest of our lives, which is why kids always get like, you know, mucusy and phlegm and coughs and colds. And it's so common as a kid, doesn't really happen as much when you're older because we all have more kapha. Then in your middle ages, we all become more pitta because we're creating our lives where, you know, finding jobs, finding spouses, figuring everything out. It's a lot of pressure. So that's going to bring up our pittas. We naturally need more pitta. And then later on in our lives, we become more vata. We become more dry and cold our periods stop our skin becomes more fragile we get wrinkly and a lot of older people it's like they're kind of not interested in the day-to-day things like there's like my grandpa he's somewhere else like he's just like i just want to write poetry because he's just so vata at this of his life so those are the lifespan cycles um so the way that ayurveda works is we work with the imbalance while also paying attention to your prakriti so let's say um for you and also for me, we were probably born with more kapha. We were born bigger kids. We, you know, could gain weight easily. Maybe yeah. you also had like mucus or phlegm or allergies or asthma. That's all kapha related. I didn't um, have that, but I was definitely like a, you know, I, I like grew up quickly. I felt like. Right. Yeah. Kaphas tend to get their periods earliest in life. Yep. They tend um just naturally they like grow larger like breasts whereas vatas tend to stay like flat like i have like more vata in my body like i'm i'm not like a large breasted like curvy person same. so I have, like no boobs right so yeah so but i had of- these same boobs when i was like right. 10 years old the exactly. size i have right now right and that's also because like both of us had eating disorders and that's going to stump the growth of your estrogen and your Mm. breast growth and it's going to change like your body is like maybe if we we didn't eat that way our bodies would look different right now um like I realize a lot of how I look I look younger than I am which is a good thing but my body also it doesn't look very womanly and curvy because I wasn't getting estrogen in my body for a really long time so all of these things affect this is all in our vicarity so what Ayurveda says is you have to treat the imbalance that's going on so let's say like you had a vata imbalance, you're eating a lot of cold foods, salads, you're under eating, over exercising. Um, you need to address that vata imbalance, eating more warm foods, cooked foods, grounded oils and things like that. But then once you bring that vata into balance, then you can start eating for your prakriti, what you're born with. So it's not like keep eating like that forever and then you start gaining lots of weight and you go back Mm. into your kapha. It's like making sure it's balanced and balance for each person is going to look more differently. Like some people naturally are just going to be more pitta. Like for me, I have to work really hard to get my pitta up. I'm naturally not a pitta person Same. but in work yeah in my work and my career I like I want to be so like today I went like boxing and I like you know these things that I would never normally want to do but as I'm doing them I'm like actually really loving it because it's like wow this is a new energy that I don't normally feel of like really just like empowered and like badass and like you know like a, a rap song like I feel like that and I'm like wow this feels really good because I'm normally really like okay 
let's just see what happens. So it's like you can tap into these energies and these doshas for whatever you need. Whenever I'm in book writing mode, I tap into that pitta because I need to get shit done. So yeah. it's beautiful when you know about it because you can you can always be assessing in your body of like, what do I need more of? How can I change my diet and lifestyle to gain more of that? Wow. Okay. This is so fascinating. So if you are someone like like us, like me right now in this example of, you know, maybe I don't have the vata energy that I need, you, that I'm just recapping, you focus. Pitta, pitta energy. Pitta energy that I need. Yeah. yeah. But also my, so my vata is what's out of balance though, right? Well, are you experiencing like the bloating, gas, constipation, those oh, issues? A little bit, yeah. And I'm and I definitely have the cold all the time thing. Okay, so being cold all the time is both vata and kapha. They're both oh, cold okay. energies. Um, vata tends to be more cold and dry, whereas kapha is more cold and oily. So the fact that you have oil, like more oily skin, acne yeah. prone skin, that's kapha. Kapha, okay. Vatas have super, super dry skin. If you have combination skin, that's kapha. And you're, if you have coarse and thick hair, that's kapha. Vatas have like thin hair, um, dry. Okay. I'm definitely kapha. And that I think that's why I've been like doing Ayurveda wrong or like so <laughs> confused about it because every time I've taken a quiz, I get vata 100% basically. But I always knew in my like gut that that just wasn't true for me. And I right. was actually kapha. And I now I'm talking to you, this is like what I needed as like an assessment from a professional. Right. <laughs> right. And and you know, you're pro you're probably you're a, a vata kapha, kapha vata. Like sometimes one might be more dominant than the other, but definitely you have you have more kapha in your prakriti or born with more kapha, but you're experiencing the vata imbalance. Like I don't know if you eat a lot of like cold and raw foods. Yeah, I do. <laughs> Right, and so that, that's going to cause it. Right, so in the summer you can get away with more because it's hotter. Um, but if you're noticing that you're gassy, bloated, and constipated, then even in the summertime you shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things vatas and kaffas have in, in common, like they they both are recommended to eat cooked foods, whereas with vatas it's a lot heavier. Um, they need to eat like more like like put sesame oil in foods or Ayurveda traditionally has a ghee. I don't really use ghee or dairy at all. Um, but they do a lot of just like really like heavy foods that probably if you were have some coffin, you will be too much. Mm -hmm. So just doing, for example, like, like roasted veggies, you don't need to like douse them in like oil and ghee on top of that, but just like, ro like roasted veggies with like a normal amount of oil that it's cooked in and just like, like a macrobiotic bowl or like a curry or something like that would be perfect for both vata and kapha. But what you really need is more pitta. So including more spices in your diet, more ginger, more, you know, cumin, turmeric, all of these things, pungent foods are going to build up the heat in your body. I love all of that. Perfect. Yeah. So just like put it, put it in everything and also know that a lot of them like turmeric is fat soluble. So you do want to put it with a fat. Like a lot of people are like, oh, green juice with turmeric. And it's like, oh, it's actually not really absorbed by your body unless it's cooked with a fat and preferably with black pepper because it's 50% more absorbable. Fascinating. And I love that. And I always, I needed to know that information because I knew that there was something to that. I knew it was fat soluble and I know in like a turmeric tonic how it needs to have black pepper. So thank mm -hmm. you for explaining that. 
So going back to a traditional Ayurvedic assessment, I know taking your pulse and looking at your tongue is something that's associated with that. Why those things and what, what would traditionally happen if we were in person and you were doing an assessment on me? What, what are some of those things? Yeah, so they're not necessary. Like most Ayurvedic like clinics and stuff in India, they don't even do that until later. They ask you with questions because with the questions you're able to get a lot more. The tongue and the pulse can just kind of go go deeper. Um, so your tongue, first of all, just the shape of your tongue will tell you about the prakriti, mm. what you're born born with. So like vatas have like more thin tongues, smaller tongues. Um, pittas tend to have more just like normal size cough is more thick so just I want to send you a picture of my tongue now yeah go for it when I and see then, you in person I'm gonna ask you for sure I'll, I'll do all the things so Amazing. yeah and then even your vikruti so um vatas if you have a vata imbalance you have a crack on your tongue if you look at your tongue you see a big crack in the middle vata right there if you have red on the tip pitta if you have a lot of white coating everywhere that's kapha and this white coating, it's called ama toxins. It's like mucus buildup in your in your digestive system, which is making you basically gain weight, be sleepy, all of these things. And we all have white coating on our tongues. Coughs just tend to have the most. Even the color of the white coating, like Pitta's white coating tends to have a yellow tinge to it. And Vata's tends to have more of a gray tinge. So there's a lot to the tongue um, as well as to the pulse. So taking the pulse and you can even like kind of practice on yourself, like putting your right hand across under your left wrist um like two fingers and if your pulse feels like like a rabbit like it's kind of like jumping it's a little bit like unpredictable it's like like that's a vata pulse Mm. and that means and this is vikruti that you're assessing right now so you have more vata going on right now if your pulse is like more powerful like it's like a thump 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 it's like robust that's more pitta you'll feel a pitta pulse quickly and a kapha pulse it tends to be a little bit slower it's more of like like a drum roll that it's is like, so oh. me but yeah so you're for sure got kapha going yeah on. it's so funny because i was just my boyfriend was visiting last weekend and which you know because i had to reschedule but i said to him i was like like i was just like leaning against his my head was like because he's taller than me like on his chest i was like oh my god you're your heartbeat is like so fast and he was like I'm fine I'm just like standing here he like hadn't like gone upstairs or anything but it felt like that and then right. he like listened to mine he's like you're just so slow what is wrong with you and we, <laughs> I think it's just like he's vata and I'm kapha right or even he's like pitta because pittas have just really if you can just like feel his heartbeat just like yeah. little lying on his chest that's pitta um whereas vata pulses like i remember when i started i couldn't feel my pulse i was like i must be dead because i just don't have a pulse yeah um so that will tell you even just touching your hands if your hands are really like cold and dry vata if they're like hot you get hot easily that's pitta and if they're cold and clammy that's kapha so there's all of these fun little ways you know in the shape of someone's face like if you have more of like a long face like gaunt like you know really defined cheekbones like a ballerina or something that's vata um if you have more of an angular face like a strong jawline um that's pitta and it's also indicative of testosterone which is reflective of what pitta is all about um and then if you have a more round face baby face like my face is super kapha 
Mm, I, w- I want to send you a photo of me. Or you've probably seen photos of me. We'll have yeah. to we'll have to check after this what what you think my face looks like. Oh, this is so fascinating. Thank you for going yeah. over all this. Oh, of course. Yeah, and it's like it, it makes it really fun to know about it because yeah. everyone you meet in your life, you're like, you can, you're like, oh, they're Kafa. Like, that's why they do this. Like, oh, I have a Pitta friend. Like, that's why she got really upset with me when I canceled plans and like spazzed out. It's like, oh, she's a Pitta. It makes yeah. sense. Whereas like, you know, Kafas are like, it's okay. Whatever. Yeah. It works. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's just different energies. So it's amazing because we're able to like really see people where they're at. And I have like a YouTube video. I'm so passionate about like the relationships and doshas and like how to be if you're like a Kafa dating a pitta like because they like they date in such different ways so fascinating okay I have a million more questions to ask you and I want to get into kind of the spiritual side of this which is super interesting and I I know you have some great stuff in the book and, and I heard you share in the other podcast about that but first what are some ways that everyone can incorporate Ayurveda in balancing their doshas into their lives just in like top line things you could you could give if you had to you know just give a couple yeah so I think the number one thing we can all stop doing is stop drinking cold things so whether it's having a frozen smoothie with frozen banana and frozen cauliflower and frozen berries that sort of thing or drinking iced coffee iced water iced this iced that so if the digestion is like a fire and you're constantly putting ice over that fire what's going to happen the fire's gonna go out it's gonna be bad exactly so so many people they wake up first thing in the morning and they make their green smoothie and it's like putting ice over this fire before that fire fully got a chance to you know flourish into its full potential so I like to make something called CCFT cumin coriander fennel seeds it's tridoshic meaning it's good for all doshas and all I do is like about in four cups boil water I put half a teaspoon of cumin coriander and fennel seeds you can find that anywhere and it's great for your digestion for detoxing for your limps for so many things so that's what does it taste like it tastes kind of like mm, like spiced licorice okay but like the cumin gives it a little bit of like like for example when I was sick growing up my mom would always give me cumin tea I'm like oh this is like gross um but I think with the fennel seeds like fennel seeds have a kind of like licoricey taste like if you eat at an Indian restaurant they don't typically Indians don't eat dessert they eat fennel seeds it's like they have like an array of fennel seeds that they just chew on because it's so good for your digestion even if I buy fresh fennel I love fennel for like they're chewing on um I will use the stock of it and boil it in water and drink that tea so switching from cold foods to warm foods having teas having warm things if you're going to make a smoothie do it with fresh fruit don't do it with frozen fruit we can all benefit from that Got it. Okay, very helpful. And then also tongue scraping. Can you talk about the benefits of that? Something that I can't talk to anyone or do anything in the morning before, after, until after I scrape my tongue. Why do I, why do I feel like that? I guess I just am so used to it. I've done it for so many years, but why is that a, a, a good practice? Yeah, tongue scraping is one of those things. It's like, how was I not doing this my whole life? Because it's like, there's just so much stuff on our tongues and we sleep overnight that um, the ama, the toxins build up. So basically it's this like U-shaped little device that you can get now at Whole Foods even. But if you Google it, you'll find a million places. I'll put the link in the show notes. 
Yeah, I use one like Dr. Tongues, which I like. Um, so there's so many with different ones. Traditionally in Ayurveda, they use copper ones. And I was doing that for a while, copper everything. But also like with the copper, like the heavy metal toxins, like now I just use stainless steel. Um, so you basically scrape your tongue from back to front about 10 times. You don't want to just do it once. You want to do it 10 times because even deeper in your tongue's pores, there can be the, the white stuff, the um, the toxins. Um and it stimulates your, not only cleanses your um, mouth from toxins, but also stimulates your digestive system. It gets your digestive system ready for the rest of the day. And our tongues are always talking to our food. And when we put food in our mouths, our tongues are indicating, okay, what enzymes are needed to break this down? And our digestion really starts with saliva. So if we have a clear tongue, we're better able to digest because our tongues are able to tell what we're eating. If our tongues are coated, then our tongues don't know. And once the food's in our system, it's kind of too late for the enzymes, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's why tongue scraping is really good. Oil pulling is another really good one that you can follow up with. That's basically Ayurvedic mouthwash. You put a spoon of oil, coconut oil if you're pitta or it's pitta season, sesame oil if you're vata or kapha or it's a colder season. Um, and you swish it around your mouth. It does not have to be for 20 minutes. Somewhere, someone said, I love oh, this tip. Yeah. it has to be 20 minutes. And everyone's like, oh, damn, I can't do it because it's 20 yeah. minutes of my night. It's like, no, it needs, it can be three minutes. It can be one minute. It can be however minutes that you want to do it. You don't have to stand in front of the mirror and like do affirmations. You can get ready for the day and like spit it out whenever you want. It's not that big of a deal. And also if you don't do these things for one day, you're not going to like die of toxic overload. These are just things to help make your life better. They should just be habits and rituals, but it's not like another thing that you're going to have. Like with Ayurveda, it's all about not being stressed out. Yes. Preach. So aligned with everything that I think and feel. Yes. Very, very cool. Okay. I want to know about the kind of magical side of this all. And when you balance these doshas, how these are connected to our dharma. Can you talk about what dharma is and how Ayurveda and particularly balancing our doshas is connected to that? And maybe even touch on um, chakras. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your dharma is your life's purpose. It's the reason why you're alive. And it's believed in Hinduism, Buddhism, many spiritual beliefs that we were all born here for a very specific reason. And this is a reason that only our souls can fulfill. And we chose our bodies. We chose our parents. We chose this time of the life that we want to reincarnate with the internet and all of these things going on, we chose this all. And the reason that we chose this all is because it's the exact obstacles that our soul needed for its highest evolvement. And its highest evolvement is the you that you were meant to be, the true you, the you before all the fears and limiting beliefs and you know self-sabotaging behaviors. It's the actual you. So it's not about changing who you are, but really like becoming who you actually are so that's what makes it really beautiful it's just like how much can I shed not how much more can I gain and what I realized you know working thousands of people the doshas they were born with was so connected to their dharma so someone who is born naturally more vata they naturally need to be doing something more creative they will do so well if they're in this like brainstorming zone they do really well in like you know writing or advertisement and just creative fields like that something that they can let their minds run free 
people who have more pitta in them, they naturally need to be in a managerial role. They do really well in structure, organized leadership, um, fitness, things like that. They need to have tangible goals that will be met because that's how they feel fulfilled. And someone who's more kapha, they need to have that one-on-one connection. They need to, like this podcast, like get deep and like hear that story. Like that's what fills their heart. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, they they love, like what you said when you were interviewed on my podcast, what makes you your highest self? And you were like putting away your phone and just connecting with people over your podcast. Like that's the most kapha answer ever. It's like, that's what they love. They're like, like, let me hear the juice of it. Not just like... The Vata might want to hear it. They might be in their own thing. The Pitta's like, give me the elevator's pitch. Like, I don't yeah. really want to get deep in there. And the cough is like, no, honey, have some tea. Let's sit and talk. Wow. So, yeah. So I realized that, wow, so many of these health issues were we're facing is because we're not living a life aligned with our dharma that we are creating these health issues as crazy as that sounds because we're not living in alignment with our true selves so i started researching this and really studying this and reading so many books but also just like grounding back down into you know my belief and when you read so many spiritual books they all really say the same thing because we all kind of already know this truth it's just different ways you know ayurveda is just different language to talk about it but it's saying the same thing that Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, everything else is. So it's really that you just need to be true to who you are. And so I created my doshas and dharma program, which is like a four week online program, which you know, helps people figure out what it is that they want to do with their lives. And it's so amazing because we're two weeks in and almost everyone has had their breakthrough. And it goes to show that it's like, it was already there. They knew, but it was something keeping them to, I can never make money doing this, or this can never be a full-time thing. I'm not smart enough, whatever it is, all of those things that were keeping them from just like diving in, even if it's scary and just owning up to like, yes, this is my Dharma and I'll figure something out. Wow, very cool. And I want to do that course next time you offer it. That's absolutely wonderful. Okay, what about chakras? Can you talk about that a bit? I know there's a chapter in your book on chakras. Yeah, so chakras are energy centers in our bodies. Um, so I think a lot of people have heard of chakras because of its like connection with yoga. We hear heart openers and you know the root chakra. So we have these different chakras in our bodies as well as like one above our body. So we have our, our root chakra, which is connecting us with the earth. It's in charge of survival. It's very similar to like the Maslow's hierarchy. Um, so root chakra, it's very like primal and primitive. And um, so you know if you're experiencing like if you've been homeless before, you lived in a war torn country that's all going to really trigger your root chakra because you don't feel safe. And that shows up as like anger and acting out and just like rage. And we all, we all have this side of us and we all need to be in touch with it, but it's just making sure that it's balanced, not excess or not too little. Some people, a lot of Americans are totally disassociated with the root chakras. They're like, Oh, like I don't want to feel things. I'd rather think about them and intellectualize that them. That is so me. Right. So yeah, I've been working on that like, for like the last year. Yeah. So it's like connecting back into the body and like letting like the because I studied shamanism too. Like I'm very passionate about like the shamanic belief because it's not like there's no like guru who tells you the answer. It's like, no, like listen to your body right now because your body knows what's up. What are some ways to heal that chakra? Oof. So I had to do a lot of this work as well when I, I came back from Bali and I was like just I also found out like my ex of 
four years was cheating on me and like everything in my world was like crumbling down. So um, luckily I had these shamanic tools, my favorite, which is shaking, shamanic shaking. Um, So shaking is you go somewhere in nature, you put your feet into this ground, into the soil, feeling the earth's energy, no shoes, because you want to feel the negative ions of the earth to recalibrate your system. And you start shaking your body. And at first, you're like, this is weird. I'm just like shaking and you're, you know, kind of faking it. And then so you're like shaking your arms and legs, you're shaking your arms, your legs, your pelvis, your head, your shoulders, your fingers, you're just shaking everything. And after a few minutes of doing this, it's like, you are not in control of the shaking anymore. Your body is just shaking. And you might, it's really good to be breathing the whole time, especially through your mouth, like holotropic breath work, like (sighs) staying with the breath and also making any sounds that need to come out because we store so much trauma in our bodies, not just from this life, but from past. And when we're shaking it, it's getting released. It's just like a dog. It's like every animal shakes to heal itself. But we humans stopped doing that because of, patriarchal era said it's you know it's barbaric to shake so we stopped whereas before like you know the woman would gather around the campfires in every single society and come around and shake and dance and move and in societies that are very root chakra like in africa and in south america shaking and dancing and moving your pelvis and your hips people are not afraid of that whereas here it's like oh you're you're asking for sexual attention turn that off so Mm. we have a lot of root chakra work to do in this country so just shaking connecting with your body like like moving your pelvis like every single day when I'm brushing my teeth I'm just like moving my hips in circles I'm just like like yes I'm alive I'm a woman I can feel into my yoni feel the energy of the earth and like connect back and power me through everything in life because the earth can power you through a lot more things than you physically can wow okay so what if it's cold and you don't want to put your feet on the ground still moving and shaking can be helpful not quite as helpful Yeah, you can still like move and shake just like, you know, even if you want to play some music, play some like Native American, like I love Tribe Called Red. They have amazing songs that are just like powwows, literally. It's called Electric Powwow. Playing that, just letting your body be loose, maybe going to an African dance class or an ecstatic dance. You should teach a class for this. Well, I created something called Dance Your Doshas. Oh, amazing. Is this on your Um, website? No, I only teach it at my retreats. I want to go to that. Well, I'm going to be teaching one at um, Wonderlust Los Angeles probably in like January or February. It's like going to be an Ayurvedic dance and yoga thing. Okay, amazing. Maybe I can come to that. Yeah, for sure. And then sure. we should bring you to New York and we should like do an event together. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I saw your message and I'm going to be doing one at um, – the Deepak home base. ABC. Oh, amazing. Oh yeah. I think uh, you mentioned that to me. Yeah. So we don't have there. dates, but yeah. And I've, and I've actually been to Divya's kitchen and met her as well. So for sure. So okay. yeah, just connecting with your body is the most important thing, whether it's through a dance class, whether it's through just like, like touching yourself, like it doesn't even have to be sexually, but just like, like touching your legs, like feeling like, wow, I'm a physical body. Like we know touch yourself like you would a lover. We give like our partners so much love and attention. Like, why don't we do that to ourselves? And that's going to connect you back into your root as well as your sacral. So your sacral is right above it. It's like your kind of like lower navel area. And that's in charge of like relationships, sensuality, fluidity. So like belly dancing is a really good way of getting in touch with there. So root chakra is a lot more like tribal and like getting low, like 
boxing, this, that. Whereas sacral is a lot more like, ooh, like feminine flow, like just feeling really, really sexy in your body. So they're and kind th- of similar-esque. They're, they're similar, but, but there's also huge differences. I mean, you know, a root chakra person might be really upfront and in your face, whereas a, a sacral chakra person might be a little bit like, you don't really know what they have to say. They're a little bit like mysterious and, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I, I studied belly dance for a very long time, which was like very sacral. And I think it's something that us women are really lacking in because, you know, before for thousands of years, women would teach each other like, oh, this is a jade egg. How do you use it? Like, oh, this is how you belly dance and do this with your body. And we don't do that anymore. Moms don't sit around and tell us how to use a jade mm. egg. So, and we need that um, because it's it's such a huge part of our ancestry for all of us and our bodies and our bodies are meant to be operated in so many different ways. And we're only kind of working in this like very masculine, like work, sleep, just that. So that's sacral. And then solar plexus is your middle. It's like your, your sense of self, your identity, your ego self as well. So if you have strong, powerful solar plexus, you really know who you are, you're grounded in your beliefs. In the book, I have them all related to the, the doshas. I have them related to the koshas, which I won't get into, but it's like layers outside of your body. But um, so your solar plexus is like, this is who I am. I'm very confident and powerful. But at the same time, if it's too much, you can become like egotistical. So like, Donald Trump has like huge solar plexus mm. issues. Mm. Very, it's all about me and no one else. And that's what happens when it's too much. And when if it's too little, it's, oh, no one cares. Why, why does what I have to say even matter? So they can go in, in both ways. Then you have your heart chakra, um, Anahata. And that is your, not just, it's not love with your loved, your partner. It's love for the world. It's your ability to just like feel love and compassion and joy. And, you know, you know, those like random feelings of like butterflies you get sometimes. It's like, yeah. oh, I just feel good. So heart chakra is our ability to love, connect, experience joy, those feelings of butterflies that you get sometimes when everything is just like, ah, oh, it's so perfect. The best. Um, yeah. Like in the flow. Yes, exactly. And a lot of us, we walk around with our hearts so covered. We're like literally hunched over. We're like protecting our hearts because we've all experienced heart heartache, you know, mm-hmm. like we've all had our hearts broken before. And when that happens, you're like, oh my God, I can never love again. I can never trust again. You know, you might've lost a friend. You might've lost anything. So it's really important to keep your heart open. That's why we do heart openers and yoga and you open your chest and it's literally just like saying yes to your heart. At the same time, if your heart is so open, you can become overly empathetic that you're just feeling all of the pain of everyone that you come across like empaths. It's like they're just feeling things for other people and that can lead to them becoming depressed and anxious because it's like they're, they're picking up on other people's stuff. So it's really important to also like stay grounded and connected to your body and like know what's yours and what's anyone else's. And if you're an energy worker, you practice Reiki or anything else to really guard your energy too. Then you have your throat chakra, which is like, where all my energy is and it's just like communication and it's talking and it's like putting things into words and it's very just like like you have a lot of throat chakra that we've been talking for an hour and a half and we're still going that's throat chakra most people are not like this so it's communication but sometimes I'm I'm sure you've felt this too it's like sometimes we overshare sometimes we say something without really thinking about it because we're just so, so chatty and communicative 
Then you have your third eye, which is located right between your eyebrows, and that's in charge of intuition. So it's like that like feeling you get, like, oh, I don't know, something's not right about this, or that feeling you got that you're like, it's saying vata, but I feel kapha. That was your third eye working. Mm-hmm. And third eye is so important to have because if you're intuitive, you can like, like jack away from any of life's problems because you're able to foresee them. And that's why some people are like hyper intuitive and they like know what's going to happen next. We all have the ability to become intuitive. It's not like you're born that way. It's just trusting that voice. And if that voice is talking to you, listening to it, and that's how it gets stronger. Then we have our crown chakra, which is located right above our bodies, which is actually our ability to like pick up on like universal energy and like oneness. And like knowing that like you, I, every listener on here, we're all really the same, the same hopes, dreams, fears. And there's really as different as our doshas are, we're really all the same. And that is really the greater thing of all of this. We are a microcosm of the macrocosm of the universe. Wow. This is so great. And I could talk to you forever. But I want to ask you the questions I ask everyone. Thank you for going through all of those. How do they relate to doshas in in Ayurveda? I know that's in your book, but just like a quick definition of that. Yeah, so kapha people tend to have, they tend to normally have more energy in their bodies. Um, so they might feel kind of more in the like lower chakra areas, more like root chakra, and they tend to like feel things for people, which can also be more sacral. Okay. Um, pittas tend to be more in the middle. They tend to be really like aware of their identity and their and their ego and who they are but they also are very passionate which is heart and vatas tend to be more communicative and also intuitive so vatas are energies are more like up dancing up here pittas in the middle and kaphas like anchoring down to earth got it Fascinating. yeah okay yeah before i ask you the questions i ask everyone tell us the story of how in the flow you were when you met Deepak Chopra and how you got the the email from him when you were helping the homeless man. It's like my favorite story. So yeah, I got the book deal and I had the book and I was going to be published in the next few months. I didn't have a hard copy of it yet. And um, I met someone like through this Facebook group, Moon Club, which Ruby actually runs, who's on your podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I met him through Moon Club and he and I was going to New York to visit and he invited me to come to this yoga and science conference, like a stranger on the internet. And I was like, okay. As you do. Um, As you do. Um, So I went and I did not know, like, I didn't know anyone who was going to be speaking there. I didn't go for like a specific purpose. I just went to have something to do. And at the end of the conference, they were like talking about science, this, that I was getting kind of bored. And I remember thinking in my head, like, the only thing that would make me stay right now is if Deepak Chopra walks on stage. And they're like, okay, it's time for lunch break. Oh, and a special hello from our sponsor, Deepak Chopra. And he walks on. He's like, hello, everyone. And he, like, walks right off. And, like, intuitively at that moment, I knew, like, and I was going around everyone I met. Do you know Deepak Chopra? I wish Deepak Chopra wrote the forward to my book. I love Deepak Chopra. I've read all of Deepak Chopra's books. Like his book, Perfect Health, is the first book I read about Ayurveda. Like ever since I was 12 years old, I was like obsessed with him. So um, when I saw him and I had already stalked all of his family members in his life, I was like, this is my chance. So I go through this crowd of literally a thousand people in this massive auditorium. I walk on stage 
<laughs> like, I'm not supposed to be on stage. Walk on stage, walk past a bunch of people waiting to talk to him, and I just go right up to him. He's like, uh, hello? I'm like, hi, Deepak Chopra. My name is Sahara. I just wrote this book, The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, and I'm a huge fan of your work. And I go to your daughter's meditation, that unplug, and your son's son goes to school with my cousin, and you were here, and I just start <laughs> listing all of these ways I had stalked his life. He's like, oh, okay, great, bye-bye. Um, <laughs> And then I was like, I really would love to send you a copy of my book to take a look at. It's about Ayurveda and you've been such an influence for me um, in studying Ayurveda. He's like, sure. And he gives me his email, his private email. And I'm like, oh my God, I have Deepak Chopra's email address. And um, I'm calling my mom and we're so excited. And then I was just going to send him a copy of my book just to like for him to know who I am. That was enough. And then I was like, you know what? This is my chance to have him write the cover quote to my book. And I was like, how am I going to ask someone I met for five minutes to write a quote for my book? Like that's something like personal. But I was like, you know what? I already don't have it. And if he says no, I still won't have it. So I'm just going to ask. So I ask him, I send him the book and, you know, just tell him how much he means to me basically. And he goes, sure, I'll write you a quote for the book. And I was like, yes, oh my God, this is insane. Deepak Trevor's writing a quote for my book. He knows who I am, flipping out. And I told my friend, Liana, this, who, I don't know if she's been on your podcast. She's in New York too, I'll connect you. And she's like, well, what do you really want? And I'm like, well, I mean, ideally, in like my my magical dream world, would he writes the foreword to my book, maybe a future book. And one day I want to write books with him. And she's like, well, why don't you just ask him to write the foreword to this book? I was like, I can't ask him to write the, first of all, my book's going to print on Monday, it's Saturday. Second of all, like, no, I, that's something you really need to know someone for years for to write a whole forward to the book. She's like, she's like, just write it in a way that it's like meant to be by the universe. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? She's like telling me like Abraham Hicksing it, like, just like the way to say it is just like, there's no way for it to not happen. It's for like the greater good. So she helped me word it and I was basically like, like you are the person who introduced Ayurveda to me and this book is going to be introducing Ayurveda to like the masses, to millions of people and there's no better person that I could think of to write, to introduce this book to people than to you and um, and I would just be like so honored for you to write the forward and, and I understand if you don't have time but I think it would add so much to this book and also help people gain trust in Ayurveda seeing your name on it. Oh, and so yeah, and um I was shitting my pants. I was like, he's going to think I am the most. There's a Farsi word. It's called poru. It's like someone who's asking for way too much. You give them an inch and they're taking more. I was like, he's going to think I'm so poru. I can't believe I asked this. And the next day I'm um, walking to my friend's house. I'm rushing in New York. I'm eating while I'm talking. I'm, so many things going on. He still hadn't responded to me. And about the, the cover quote, he like pretty instantly responded. So I was like, oh my God, he's probably like blocked me online. And I see this guy and um, I'm crossing the street and I hear a man saying, can someone help me cross the street? And the last thing I had time for is to help someone cross the street, but something overcame me. Like, you know what? You say you're all Ayurvedic and spiritual. Like this is someone who needs help, help them. So I go, I walk back across the street and I help this man and he like holds on to me and he, he looks like he was homeless. Um, he had a really strong smell. I can still smell him today. And he's like, can you actually like walk me to the subway and put me on the subway to 
Jersey. I was like, okay, like buy my plans. So I'm talking to him and he was actually a refugee from Iraq. And turns out he had two kids that lived in Los Angeles, a doctor and a lawyer. And he was actually like really accomplished and had known so much. And I was like, wow, you really can't judge a book by its cover. So I put him in the subway and I'm like, by the way, sir, where are you going? He's like, oh, I'm a physics professor. I teach at university. And I was like, huh. And I was like, you know, that was a nice thing I did. I would have never imagined that guy. I thought he was homeless and he's like a physics professor. Yeah. And I open up my phone and there was an email with a page long forward written by Deepak Chopra, still with the like, like uh, spell spelling mistakes in it. Like he like literally like wrote this on his phone and like sent it over to me the same moment I let go of that man's hand. And Deepak Chopra is like a professor of physics. That's he's a physicist. Um, and I instantly knew that that man was, I don't believe a human. I literally believe it was an angel put into my life. And the universe was testing me and saying, if this person you put on a pedestal who you're like, he's Deepak Chopra, he's the best, he only knows, I only want his attention. If he shows up to you, that same soul in a different way, in a smelly homeless man who needs help crossing the street, he's gonna get in the way of your plans, are you still going to say yes to him? And the fact that I did made something so impossible to Deepak writing a forward on his phone and sending it to me after meeting me for five minutes happen. And since then, Deepak and I have been besties. I'm going to see him in two weeks, and we led a 31-day mind-body transformation challenge together. He, I'm on faculty of his um, social network, Jio, and have a channel there, and I'm speaking at the Chopra Center, and it's like literally so meant to be. And he did a Facebook Live about me after we met, oh. and it was called Meaningful Coincidences. Oh and gosh. it was just like... For, you know, I watch his Facebook lives all the time to be like, oh my God, he's like talking about me and like telling people about me. It's just so crazy. And someone said something to me once recently that's so true. And it's like, there's less competition at the top for what you really want. And what that means is like, something as crazy as asking Deepak Chopra for a forward to your book is something that most of us would never even think about. It's like, that's not going to happen. Don't even think about it. So there's actually a lot more competition for the average things because most yeah. of us are not thinking at that level. But when you say yes and you start thinking at that level, the, the amount of people who actually do it are very slim that chances are you're actually going to get it. So now everything I do in my life, I'm like, what is like the actual, the best possible thing that could happen to me? Like, what is it that I want if like everything worked out? And that's the thing that I go for. And you know what? Most of the time it happens because that's where my intention's at. Mm. You're so inspiring. This all makes yeah. me so happy. I just want to hang yeah. out with you and be around you. Thank you for telling that. It was just such a good story. And I know what that's like to have to tell a story a bunch of times but I needed it on my podcast, so I felt like I was kind of putting quarters in your jukebox, but I wanted this to be on my podcast, so thank you. Oh, of course. No, I mean, I love – it's still all so new to me, you know? Like, this happened in May. Wow. It's like, not, not like I've been telling the story a million times. It's like, okay, this good. is all – It's the story is still creating itself. And it's so interesting because when I was 22, I wrote this book called How to Operate on a Soul Level. 
and then I kind of put it away and I'm like the reason I didn't publish it is because it's not done being written like all of these things are the universe and don't get me wrong like things still go wrong but now I see it as it's happening for me to learn and every single roadblock is like oh this is what my soul needs to get to that next level and like right now it's like a lot of strength like I need a lot of strength to get to where I want to be so the universe is throwing me things that make me either need to get stronger or crumble and I'm choosing strength yeah wow very cool okay let's do some quick fire questions ready for them yes I'll warm you up and they get harder as we go so prepare yourself okay. favorite color uh, turquoise favorite day of the week Saturday favorite hour of the day um like 10 p.m. best thing you've eaten in the last week uh, the beaming cookie that I just ate. So good. Beaming cookie. Tell us about this cookie. Yeah, it's this amazing raw vegan cookie from this place beaming in Los Angeles that has like, it's just incredible. You you need to, you must have it when you're here. Okay. Like it's beaming. Yeah. I'm writing that down for when I'm there next week. Amazing. Yeah. The protein cookie. So good. What's your favorite part about living in LA and anywhere else I need to go? <laughs> Um, that I'm staring at the ocean right now. I live mm. right in front of the ocean. Oh my gosh. Do you still live with your grandparents or somewhere else now? No, no. no. Oh I, I've left there. I live in Santa Monica now. I love Santa Monica. Yeah. I'm so sad we're going to be missing each other, but I'll be back in the winter. So yes, we'll for sure. Yeah. Favorite part of your life right now? Um, Just like that I'm at this place with my parents that they are proud of me. And mm. this is the first time that's happened. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. How are you challenging yourself and growing right now? What's coming up for you? Um, I tend to put a lot on my plate and I just start things and I don't really think them through. So as I got this book deal, I started running a new online program at the same time, um, which has been challenging. But it's also taught me that, you know, you have to wear different hats in life. Like it's a lot easier to be in a hut writing a book when you have nothing else to do versus when you have like two hours between interviews and meetings. And it's teaching me to t get in there a lot faster. Mm, yeah. 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 I relate to that a lot as well. Okay. What are your morning routines? Maybe the first three things you do when you wake up in the morning and how that affects how the rest of your day goes. Yeah. Um, I immediately recall my dreams like when I'm still asleep I try to always remember what they are because I believe our dreams are messages and I've, I've seen some really crazy things that have come true or were happening in my dreams um, then I list like three things I'm grateful for and my intention of the day and then I make my boyfriend do it too and I just also give so much gratitude that I can like wake up like living here with him with my cute dog that like this is just where I'm at mm -hmm. like it's really it's like you know I try to always remember like I'm already here like don't think of the next thing like be thankful for where you are wow that is so cool how did you meet your boyfriend oh that's a whole other story okay. um, I, li I literally ma ma manifested him I drew a picture of him on a piece of paper and he came to life what what? Yes, that's a whole other story. But okay, like, I, I literally drew him, wrote everything about him, and I was like, "Universe, like this, this is my godman, like my soulmate. This is my person. Send me to him." And within a month, I met him. Um. Okay. Well, let's. And, and he's coming to India with me now in December to shoot wow. my next book. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about. Let's do a part two in New York, and yes. let's talk about that then. Absolutely. We'll talk about Ayurveda and relationships. 
Yes, for sure. Cool. What about evening routines? Last few things you do before bed? You know, I write until like I was up till 4 a.m. last night. Like that's just when I when I write. So at night I don't like wind down and like drink a cup. I mean, I guess I'm drinking tea, but it's like I have a lot of Vata energy and Vata runs at night. So before I would try to be like, no, you got to sleep early and like wake up early and like do the Ayurveda things. But I'm like, no, because I wouldn't have the work that I have if I didn't. I wrote that whole idiot's guide to Ayurveda like after like 10 p.m. is like when I start getting going. So yeah. I'm I'm just in that flow. That's so inspiring too and interesting. Okay, what are your thoughts on social media? How do you balance it all? Where are you with that? Oh my gosh. So um, I did a podcast episode about why I turned off my DMs, like my Instagram direct messages. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something with social media, it's so hard. Like I, I love that it's able to connect so many of us, but it's an addiction. And with the direct messages, I think it's brought a whole other level because people are just responding to things that yeah. it's not necessary to respond to. It's, it's like, like another email. Cool, great, yeah, awesome. And then you like have to respond. And then just like so many like like personal questions, like, I don't know what to do about this, that. And it's like, honey, I've I've never met you. There's no way I can answer that question. Or like yeah. health problems over like DMs. And like if someone takes their time to send me an email, I'll always respond to them. But if it's just like random things on DM, like they don't even say hi. It's just it's just taking and it was just too much. I was getting so anxious because I would wake up and like be like, okay, let me get through at least 20 DMs right now. And oh then waiting gosh. for the elephant, let me get through 20 more. And like, I'm always answering DMs. So I turned it off and it's been like the best thing ever. Wow. That's also very inspiring. <laughs> what about feminism? How, what is, how do you define your feminism and how do you act feminism in your life? Yeah. So I come from, you know, a history of female suppression. My grandparents were both in child marriages. Um, My grandma was 12 years old when she was forced to marry my grandfather. My mom was, you know, like a refugee from Iran who had to cover her hair, like come from a lot of female suppression. Um, So it's been a lot of barriers that I've had to block. The fact that I'm writing things about myself online was a huge shock for everyone in my family. The fact that I'm speaking that I'm sharing they they don't even understand how a woman can even do all of these things so I believe feminism is just being who you are whether whatever that is and just being okay with you know maybe I do want to be a housewife or maybe I want to be more and for a long time I always thought I just want to be a housewife because it's the only thing I knew yeah. but it's like actually like it, it wasn't really my highest self it was just me taking the easier route wow so yeah. inspiring and interesting Okay. Greatest lesson on family. Um, that they don't always know what's best for you. Mm. You know, I think we all are like, like we should have so much gratitude for our parents, but they really don't know what's best for us. They grew up in a time that was very different from the world that we live in now, not only in the news and the media, but energetically, it was a patriarchal era. We live in a more feminine time. So the realities that we have did not exist. So they can only give us advice from what they know, which is going to limit our potential. So as much as they love you and they're trying to keep you safe, they also may be keeping you playing small because they don't want you to get hurt. And for me, it took, you know, like 
two years of constant fighting and not really talking to my parents to be able to now come at them and love them and appreciate them without holding on to any resentment because I know that I truly have a lived life on my own terms. Yeah. Well said once again. What about greatest lesson on friendship? Um, ooh, like with friendship, it's hard because I've recently had this friendship that ended and it ended because of lifestyle choices she was making, not in our friendship, but in her life. And I think with your friends, you have to be really aware of the energy that you're bringing forth in your life. And if they're doing things that are not in aligned with how you would live your life and you're still spending time with them, you're in a way okay, okaying that and you're taking that on. And I was realizing I was taking on a lot of the really negative things that she was doing to other people in her life. And I didn't, I didn't even want that energy around me. So it was really hard. Any friend breakup is like the hardest thing. Cause it's like, yeah, we'll still talk, but like, not really. It's like yeah. almost easier to break up with a guy than it is a friend. Um, but I'm really happy that I did it. And I feel a lot more clarity and it created space for friendships with people who are aligned with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's a, another topic we could do a whole nother conversation on because yes. it's important and not really talked about. Greatest lesson on God, spirituality, the universe, what happens when we die? Mm. Um, I mean, first of all, that our outer world is a reflection of our inner world, that we can literally think our realities. And then also, I love archetype work, not just the doshas, but I love the Michael teachings, um, which are seven archetypes and just really understanding like that there are a lot more connections than we think. We think people like that's so random or like, how could he do this? And like, there's a reason for almost everything. If you look down to it, whether it's like through childhood or whatever's going on. So I love noticing the parallels and how things tie in. And I feel like you love that too. So we talk about that as well. Yes. These these are all just a taste for what's to come. And I have like five more questions, but so before I go, the name of this podcast is let it out. So when I offer that term to you, do you feel like you let it all out? Is there anything that you really wanted to share that you didn't get to? Anything you wish that people would ask you that you never get to talk about? Oh, I mean, I th- we talked for two hours, but I feel like there's so much more I could let out. So yeah. we'll save it for other episodes. Perfect. But I love, but I love how you know with the longer form you're able to go deeper and hear so much more of the story. And I like so appreciate that you're doing this. Mm, thank you so much. You're wonderful and. Let's stay friends and talk yes. really soon over email about, Absolutely. about what's next for us and our friendship. Yay! <laughs> so excited. And for everyone listening, thank you so much to your whole community that you've garnered over so many years. And yeah, and I just, you know, we have so many parallels in our story. And yeah. for anyone listening, like this can be your story too. So like, don't let anything stop you. Yes, definitely get her book. It's so good. And her next book and just watch closely everything that that she does because she's amazing clearly yeah and you can follow me on instagram that's probably where i'm the the most active at i am sahara rose and you can take i have a quiz on my website too to discover your dosha um, on i am rose.com cool and we'll put all of that in the show notes as you do and then yeah we'll be friends I'll, i'll talk to you really soon my friend sounds good have a great night All right, you guys, that was my episode with Sahara. I really think she's fantastic. Follow her on all the social media. Check out her book. And let's be friends on social media as well if we're not already. I'm at Katie Dalebout. And I'll let you know the emoji to 
comment on my Instagram to let me know that you are listening to my ramblings all the way to the end of the episode. So stick around for that. But first, I just want to quickly thank again Care-of Vitamins. I love Care-of. They are the vitamins I take. And you can try them out for 50% off your first order by going to takecareof.com. They have a simple quiz you can take, answering questions about your lifestyle. You guys know the drill. And from there, they curate a beautiful supplement care package for you that's personalized with your name. And if you want to try them for 50% off, go to takecareof.com and enter code Katie at checkout. That's K-A-T-I-E, also my name, for 50% off your order. Also, huge thank you to Elizabeth, my dear friend's company, Quarter Lane. It's a book subscription company that delivers to you the most celebrated books of the season directly to your doorstep in beautiful premium packaging. She has a background in visual art, so she makes sure everything looks beautiful. And there's even a custom curated print that she curates every single month. It's the best books that you could have. And if you want 25% off your first collection or if you want to try it out, I really think you guys should. And you can get 25% off entering the code let it out 25 That's let it out 25 to get 25% off your collection. Great for the holiday season, you guys. Just saying. All right. I am so grateful that you are still listening. 200th episode. Feels like a big deal. Maybe it's not. Feels like it to me. I'm choosing to celebrate it. I, uh, I just think it's good to celebrate some little things in our lives and this is a little thing that I'm choosing to celebrate. So I hope that you'll join me in the celebration by commenting on my Instagram or tweeting at me and at the guests to let me know that you're still listening right now. And I was really trying to think about what I wanted the emoji to be and this week I decided I wanted to be the 100%, you know, the little red, it looks like 100 with two underlines, twice for 200. So 200% tweet those at me, Instagram them at me. Let me know you're still listening right now. I love you guys so much. Next week, I have a really special episode with someone I'm very excited about, a new person to me. Her name is Anula. She owns the Pilates studio. That is my favorite that I've been to. And she's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. One of those people you just want to be around. So she's on the show next week. I can't wait for you to hear it. I love you so much. And I'll talk to you then. Bye.